I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to our text this evening, which comes from Ecclesiastes, We're looking at chapter 2 and verses 12 to 26. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 12 to 26. Please then hear with me the reading of God's Word. So I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I say that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same events happen to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have long been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill, must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of a heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity." There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, He has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind, as far as a a reading of God's Word. Well, oftentimes, I think as believers, there's a feeling uh, that we should always be happy and that nothing should bother us or nothing should ever get us down. And if something does get us down, uh, we are not to allow it to show to others. And oftentimes we, we put on a face before the, the saints. We want them to think that everything is, is perfect in our life when the reality inside is something different. I mean, think about it. Uh, how many times have you asked someone how they were doing and they, and they told you they were doing bad? Or how often or how many times has someone come up to you and asked you how you were doing and it was in a time of, of maybe distress or despair 
and trial in your life and you, you actually responded with an honest answer, right? Explaining to them exactly how it is that you felt. Right? Solomon, throughout this book, is describing what life looks like post-fall. And that's not just for Solomon, but it's for all of us. And what we see is that it's not always pretty. The emotions that Solomon expresses that are real emotions as he recounts his past pursuits. And these are emotions that many of us, you and I, have experienced and continue to experience. They are part of what it means to be human. And so in a sense, it's comforting to at least know that when we have those feelings of despair and distress, even anger, um, anxiety, worry, that we're not alone in those things. We're not the only ones to have had those. And yet it is Solomon who is, who is willing to share his embarrassment for our sake, something that, that many of us are, are unwilling to do. Right? He does what a lot of the New Testament writers do as well, and that is uh, convey to others their imperfections. Right? To convey to others their uh, miserable failures, their sin. They do so for the sake of the saints, right? to teach us what we ought not to do. But I think another reason why Solomon, why many of the New Testament writers uh, bring up these, these memories and events is not only to teach us what we ought not to do, but also to demonstrate to us that, that even when we have those moments, it doesn't mean that your salvation is lost. Right? For although there are, are times when we spiritually backslide from the Lord and, and it will feel as if He has forsaken us, but the reality of it is He has never gone anywhere from you. That in fact it is you who have left Him, who have forsaken Him, and it is only He who draws you back to Himself. Right? Solomon himself then reflects on this reality in our text today. Right? All the searching that he did with life left him disgusted. It left him disgusted, but God used it to show him the delight that only comes through fellowship with God. And this is a reality that Solomon knew, that Solomon understand, but it was something that he needed to be reminded of. Just as, brothers and sisters, many of us oftentimes need to be reminded of because we too are forgetful of that truth in our own lives. It was Calvin who once said this, that we are prompted by our own ills to contemplate the good things of God and we cannot seriously aspire to Him before we begin to be displeased with ourselves. And I think this is what we start to see in, in Solomon in our text today. But he's not there yet. Right? As we begin our text today, we see that, that after considering wisdom and folly in chapter 1, that he goes right back to them. He wasn't done with either. It's as if Solomon believes that uh, there is something left to be squeezed out of wisdom and folly. Perhaps he thinks there is something that he has forgotten. And so he goes back to them to see if there is anything left for, for them to offer to him. And so he says in verse 12, so I, I turn to consider wisdom and madness and folly. Right? He looks at them one more time so that 
you and I or no one else ever has to again. This is why then he says, for what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Solomon was the wisest of of all. And yet what Solomon is, is conveying to us here is that there is no further progress for man to make in finding a true happiness and contentment in things under the earth. And yet, man in our, in our conceit right, will not heed the lessons, will we? We will not listen to the wise man Solomon. We, we think to ourselves, there's something he missed that we will find. But all that we do is what's already been done. And all that we find is what has already been found. And so generation after generation suffer greatly as they have not heeded the examples and the words of those who have come before us. But it's not as if Solomon has found nothing in his second attempt to look at wisdom, madness, and folly. He does say he finds something, which I think most people, even the unbeliever, who has experienced both human wisdom and folly would agree with. And that is this. This is what Solomon discovers. That wisdom is to be preferred. That, that wisdom right, is better than, than folly. In verse 13, he says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. And there is more gain in light than darkness. How so, we ask? Well, verse 14, The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Right? So wisdom has something over folly. Remember, this is, this is human. Right? Natural wisdom that he's talking about. And but what he says is true. And I'm sure all of us know many unbelievers who, who naturally speaking, are wise. Right? They, they, they know how to spot danger and avoid it. Uh, they are people who are good citizens, who obey the laws, who work hard, who provide for their family, who live peaceable lives. Right? There are many people like that, and all of us would prefer to live next door to someone like that than the fool, right? the one who's not a good citizen, right? the one who doesn't know how to avoid danger but welcomes it, the one who, who doesn't work and provide for his family, the one who doesn't live a peaceable life. Right? That person, right? the one who, who prefers foolishness and madness over wisdom, is like the person who, who walks in darkness. And we all know what that's like, don't we? We've all waken up in the, in the middle of the night in the darkness and we've tried to feel our way through to the, to the restroom or something or to go get a glass of water. What happens usually, uh, oftentimes you might stub your toe, right? hit your knee on the, on the edge of the bed, hurt yourself. Right? That's the kind of things that can happen in the dark. But that's uh, equivalent to the fool in our text here. While the, the wise person is, is he who walks during the light which is to say the wise person right, can see clearly what's before them. Right? They know how to, how to make wise decisions. They can, they can see things that are before their face. And so he says there's value in having wisdom. For the person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Right? Just take, for example, the one who has the ability to see versus someone who is blind. Right? There's, there's a great advantage, isn't there? There's a great benefit to the person who has the ability to see over the person who is blind. And so Solomon is simply pointing this fact out. Now as he begins by setting these differences apart, what he now shows to us then as we continue in our text is ways in which they agree. Right? He says, And yet I perceived 
that the same events happens to all of them. In verse 15, Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And after considering these things, what does he say? He says, this is all vanity. That's his conclusion. Why? Well, because neither of them, the the wise person or the fool, is going to be remembered and they both die. So what's the difference? Look at verse 16 with me. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have long been forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. And so, yes, being wise has its advantages, but if the one who who lives his life in earthly delights dies in the same way that the person who lives their life wisely does, what's the use of this wisdom? Why not just live your life Delving into your earthly pleasures, because that's a far easier life to live. And here then comes the true emotion, once again, bubbling out from the heart of Solomon, verse 17. He says, So I hated my life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and is striving after the wind. See, what Solomon says is that all the wisdom in the world offers him no protection against death. All the wisdom in the world offers him no protection against the same death that the fool will receive. And so it doesn't seem fair to Solomon. And I think that there are many unbelievers today who who view death in much the same way, don't they? There are those who, who live humanly wise. And yet we oftentimes see when something terrible maybe happens to them. Maybe when a spouse dies young or goes through a terrible illness, what do they oftentimes say? Why does this happen to such a good person? Why doesn't this kind of death happen to the the bad person? The murderers and the rapists, this is the kind of death they deserve, not my loved one. They deserve to to live a long life. Why do they die the same way that that the fool dies? But you see, whether humanly wise or foolish... Ultimately, both of them view death in the exact same way. They both view death as something together, unlovely and undesirable. But we have to ask ourselves the question, is this the way in which the the Christian is to view death? Absolutely not. For the Christian, death is something lovely and to be desired. It is lovely and to be desired. Now, it doesn't mean that we are not to enjoy our earthly existence. Right? Enjoy all that God has given to us here and now. But it does mean that one is to be preferred over the other. This is what Paul says. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far greater. Right? Paul here says, death is greater than your earthly experience. It surpasses it in, in every way imaginable, but this is not something that neither human wisdom or earthly pleasures can teach you. Right? This truth is something that, that Christ alone teaches. As he, he grips your ear with His voice, as He grabs your heart and transforms you and and gives you a, a living hope, a heavenly hope, and provides you a reason why you can look forward to death when you otherwise wouldn't. 
But brothers and sisters, that's what this type of empty living that Solomon describes is meant to do. To draw one to repentance and faith. Seeing that the only way that you get victory over death in the grave is through the one who has conquered death in the grave. Right? That the only way you get eternal felicity is in the one and through whom is the one who, who dwells there now. Man's hatred for life, all of man's ills, and all of man's woes are, are meant to be a prod in his side to teach him to stop looking on the earth, but to look upward right, to the giver of life who is above. Because the problems that, that men face in this world, right, those problems that cause us despair, that cause many people to want to end their life, will never end in this life. They will continue. They will actually multiply and increase your whole existence until you die or you find one who is able to remove that despair. This is a despair we see in our text that continues to mount for Solomon as he realizes that man, even the wise man, will spend his whole life working. Right? Working hard for something. You know, building up a little sweat equity. Maybe putting some money away. Establishing a business. Buying a house. And then when he dies, he, he doesn't know if the person who looks after it, the person who inherits it, is going to be wise with it or if he's going to be foolish. And so again in verse 20 he says, So I turned again and gave up my heart to despair. Why? Because he toiled with his skill and with his knowledge and he amassed all these things and now he has to leave it to someone to enjoy who has done nothing to earn it. And this he says is a great evil. And was this not actually the case with Solomon? Was this actually not the case with Solomon? Right, who is king after Solomon? His son, Rehoboam. And what does Rehoboam do? If you remember uh, the elders who uh, served under Solomon uh, told Rehoboam, hey, lay off on the Israelites. Um, and instead of listening to the wise counsel of those men, he listened to the young men that he grew up with who told him, no, you're to, to lay even a, a heavier burden on those folks. And what do they end up doing? Israel ends up turning against Rehoboam. And so, not knowing what will become of, of all that you worked for, not knowing if it will be used wisely or foolishly, he concludes in verse 23, For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not find rest. Right? Man's despairs over the realities of his existence know no ends. Right? Wisdom. Folly, labor, life, all bring vexation. Right? They all bring frustration to the lives of those who live apart from Christ, the, the children of man. Right? People toss and turn at night. Right? They, they constantly say, I, I can't get any good sleep. I'm always thinking about these things. Right? So there, we see that there's truly no rest. There is no peace for the wicked, for the ungodly. But out of all of this despair, we remember this, that Solomon, in fact, though, is a believer. Right? Solomon is a believer. And so out of all of this mess, Solomon sees hope. Right? Solomon sees hope. Out of all of his kind of complaints that he's been making throughout these first two chapters, let us see, he never complains about God. Right? He's complaining about his circumstances. 
and what's going on around him, but he, he never expresses displeasure towards God. And so he sees hope in God after all of his ills have caused him to, to once again now contemplate the goodness of God. And so he, he is drawn back to God, realizing that rest is not in the hands or the power of man to grasp. But that rest is in the hands and the power of, of God to grasp. Right? This is what Solomon realizes. And that it's only in the hands of God right, that our labors and our earthly life can be truly enjoyed and not despised. So Solomon says in verses 24 and 25, there is nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So we have to ask, who is, who is the gift giver? Right? The gift giver is God. This is what James says, doesn't he? In James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Right? And since He is the gift giver, and we are told oftentimes in Scripture, right, that there are good gifts He gives that are common to all men. But let us see that it is only in the possession of the gift giver who has the ability to make men enjoy the gifts that He gives to them. Right? Only He possesses that ability. And that can only happen when man sees that all that he has and all that he possesses comes from God. The sweetness and the use of things is derived from knowing whose hands they come from. That is where you derive the sweetness of the use of the things of this earth. Here and then is the sum of what Solomon wants us to show his readers, that the happy, that the restful, that the content life can only be found in God. It is only in God that we can use earthly blessings with cheerfulness and with joy and with freedom. And so let no one tell you that you cannot do that as some were trying to do. If you remember in Paul's letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, he says about some liars who entered the church, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Right? Remember, God gives you these good gifts to be received with thanksgiving. But the only proper use of the gifts we need to also see is is in subordination to God. Right? We use every good gift in subordination to God. Right? We use them, right? but we use them in Him and from Him. See then, though, brothers and sisters, that we must first receive the gift of spiritual life if we are going to use the earthly gifts that He gives us correctly. Right? See that our soul needs to be cared for first. And so, brothers and sisters, we should all, every single day of our life, Labor, right? Labor to see the hand of God in all things that He gives to us. Right? See then your work as a, as a gift from God for you to enjoy. Which means what? That even though right now you might not be you know, working the, your dream job, it is still a job that you can enjoy and rejoice in and thank God for. I mean, think about it. When you receive a gift from someone who is who is close to you, who means a lot to you, doesn't that gift mean a lot more than receiving a gift from someone that you hardly know? And so let us see that, that even work is a gift from God to you. 
Right? Whether for the, for the mother in the home or the father in the workplace. And when you do, even when you look out into the world and you see the ungodly and you look at what they have materially and it seems so much more than you have, you think that you have little. Remember that what you have is better than what all the ungodly world has combined. Right? For you have Christ who is, in the, who is the one in whom all the riches and treasures lie. And so for this we ought to rejoice. If you remember Daniel chapter 5, when King Belshazzar brings in the uh, gold uh, vessels from the temple in Jerusalem for the feast that he wants people to drink out of, what are we told that the people do during the feast? We're told that the people praise the gods of gold and they praise the gods of silver and of bronze. If these heathens knew to do this, how much more, brothers and sisters, should we offer praise and thanksgiving to the one true God who gives to us everything? It is God who gives to us everything spiritual and everything temporal. And so all thanksgiving is to be returned to Him. Because what do we see in verse 26? For to the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. To the sinner He has given the business of gathering and collecting. Only to give to one who pleases God, this also is vanity and striving after the wind. And so we see that, that even things like wisdom and knowledge and joy all come from God. But for the sinner, they have been given the, the business of what? Gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. Let us see that, that it is in God's hands to allot to men whatsoever He gives to them. Right? He is the reason that you are in Christ if you are. He is the reason that you can enjoy the good gifts that He has given to us if you do. But He is also the reason why the wicked man gathers in heaps without ever attaining what they desire. Right? He is the, the reason that they have this busy work without satisfaction, which oftentimes is, is used for the benefits of believers. Right? You see, the world works their tails off to attain everything, and yet they have nothing. And yet... The one who does not work but believes, even though we have very little, we in fact have everything. This is what Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn with me there if you'd like. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And look with me towards the end of the, of the, end of the chapter there, beginning in verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. For the one here today who who has Christ, you have everything. For Paul says, all things are are yours. And perhaps most importantly, you have the the ear of God. You have the ear of God. And so don't allow then your despair to ever cause you to lose the enjoyment that God blesses us to have here on earth. And so instead, remember in those great times of distress to, to run to the Lord and to cry out to Him knowing that the Lord will hear your cries. For what does Peter tell us? First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. 
Cast all of your anxieties on the Lord. For the Lord cares for you. That is true of all of you who believe here today. The Lord cares for you. And the Lord loves you. And will not He who has given you all things likewise enable you once again, perhaps after a, a period of backsliding, to enjoy His good gifts once more as He draws you back to Himself just as He has done to Solomon. We can be assured, brothers and sisters, that our God surely will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truthfulness of Your Word. Lord, we thank You for uh, this message today that You have given to us as You have showed us uh, the need to find ultimate delight in God. And that apart from God, uh, one cannot truly enjoy the earthly and temporal blessings that You have given to man. And we certainly cannot enjoy them in the way in which You have created us to enjoy. And so, Lord, we ask that You would help us to, to realize this. That You would likewise help us to see that in times of distress and despair and discouragement, that instead of fleeing You and running further into our problems and trials, that we would turn to You and cry out to You knowing that You are always present, that You are always near, that You are always willing to hear Your people's needs, for You care for them. And we thank You. And we ask all these things, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen.